Today's episode we have on Squat University. Dr. Aaron joins us and talks about you know some of the issues that some powerlifters and strength athletes in general might face. Um, it's a pretty comprehensive subject and it's hard to approach when you just have a 60 second you know Instagram post or you're throwing up uh, you know a post with some text in there and then you have a caption to follow up but it, you know I mean there's a lot to unpack in a lot of these things right and um, obviously he feels as though some people might have, there's some miscommunication exactly what he's trying to say. So um, obviously a long format, like a podcast, perfect to dive in. He also has a book coming out uh, that is over 400 pages. So he dives a heck of a lot deeper and um, lists all of his references, etc. into the, the studies, if you want to go deep, you, you're, you're a, a strength aficionado slash nerd, and um, I say that affectionately, and you want to go deep on this, if you're the type of guy or girl who likes reading the actual studies, um, it's all in there. You know, it's not just pull out of, out of thin air, so to speak. So it's a good episode. We go deep. If this is the way you like it, this is what we got. We don't always just bring on power lifters to talk about the background stories and talk about showdowns. We do like to break into, uh, you know, some of the things like technical work um, and have on, obviously, coaches talking about handling and uh, coaches talking about, you know, designing the programs, etc. Also, um, just, just a heads up, near the end of this podcast, around the last 20 minute mark, we do, we're using Zoom, and there is some in and out issues in terms of some freezing here and there, so I'm giving you a heads up right now. Uh, noticed it at the time. You could still make out. I mean, it's it's just that it's more towards the end of the podcast, but um, do apologize for that. Sometimes it happens. You know, it's I, I don't necessarily have control over how the, how the feeds are going to go like that, but also another heads up, I have an episode with Hunter Henderson dropping, and uh, obviously she's coming off of uh, an amazing performance at the showdown competition. Um, Mariana had won it, and she remains the Wilkes queen. We've had Mariana on before. If you missed that episode, go back and give it a listen. Mariana talks about her story, but we haven't heard Hunter's, and Hunter is one of the up-and-coming stars in powerlifting, uh, we were all greatly anticipating when she was going to show up at the showdown and see what she was going to do. She lived up to the hype, smashed some huge numbers. So we're going to have her come on. She's got a phenomenal story. And this is her first podcast. This is the first time she's ever got a podcast and tell her story. Wait until you hear it. Okay, I've all, I, it hasn't happened yet, but I've already done a little background research on her. It, it, it will rattle you. You know, it's a hell of a story. So that's, I'm recording that today, and then also on the weekend, it's the big one, just the very next day, Yuri Belkin. We got ourselves a translator, we, we uh, worked out a time, obviously we're in way different time zones, and, um, and we're going to have Yuri Belkin on here for the first time, and Yuri, due to obviously time zone changes, uh, you know, needing a translator to come on. He doesn't do a heck of a lot of podcasts. And 
King of has been doing podcasts for a few years now. And when you do at least a podcast a week, sometimes two, sometimes three a week, you do the math. That's a heck of a lot of podcasts to never have had on one of the premier power lifters, you know, in Yuri Belkin. So when I post up, who do you guys want to see on this, on the show? Oftentimes people were like, man, when is Yuri Belkin coming on? What is taking so long? So look, long anticipated, heavily anticipated, but here it is. You know, your your calls have turned into a call to action and I got my man on. I'm going to record it tomorrow and I'm uber excited for it. So um, if you're just listening into this podcast, subscribe on whatever platform you're on. Follow, subscribe, whatever the platform, audio platform you are. I know if you're you're paying attention on the Instagram account, and a lot of you are. By the way, thank you for hitting 200,000 followers on Instagram. Phenomenal. I am over the top excited about that and do appreciate. I will make a post as well. Um, I was waiting to make a post until I got with a couple of the other guys from King List, like Kafwe, but... With lockdown, man, it isn't exactly easy. No excuse. I'll make a post saying thank you. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I just want to say thank you for all of that. And do subscribe. And I know if you do follow on Instagram, you're probably getting your updates on every single episode anyways. Because I always post in there. New episode up. New episode up. However, just in case, it would be a shame if some of these episodes slip by you. So subscribe. Subscribe to these things. Don't let these episodes swing by. Some people tell me, oh, damn, I didn't know you had on insert lifters, power power lifters name. Yeah, man, we've been doing this for so long. I guarantee, I mean, some of these people, people hit me up and be like, when are you going to have Julius Maddox on? Biggest bencher of all time. Man, we had him on twice now, (laughs) right? Some people, it just slips under the radar. I get it. There's a lot of things going on in your day. So subscribe and do a search. Google Kingless Podcast and insert your favorite powerlifter's name. Guarantee they're going to pop up and maybe even more than once or twice. So hop in there from Julius to Steffi Cohen to, uh, well, now Yuri Belkin. So there you have it. With no further ado, we'll get into it. Squat University. In today's episode, we have Squat University himself, who was one of the originals, I think the last time... We talked on the show like a lot of change for both of us, my friend. Uh, <laughs> it has been a minute. This is what was it 2016 we talked or 2000, beginning of 2017? It had to have been 2016 because I remember I started Squat University in 2015 in October. So I mean, oh. it, yeah, it was brand new. It was a baby. Can I say something? We, wow, we kind of went on this journey together then because we, we did. started 2016, King yeah. of the Lifts. And now look at both of us. There we go. Right? Amazing. We, it's funny how we sat down, had a conversation, and neither one of us, both of us, just starting up, and yeah. neither of us knew where this was going to go. Hey, there, whenever, you, whenever you put a lot of passion behind what you love to do, I mean, great right. things can happen. And that's that's like the main thing is like it's not like working a day job, which I have. Is yeah, you can't you can get so much out of somebody just for a paycheck, but when you for real love something, like you're into this, this is your hobby, this is your passion. Oh yeah. It's a lot easier to dive into it. It actually yeah. becomes a situation where the work-life balance gets tough because you're so into it. It gets tough in the opposite direction to where I right. have to set reminders to stop working. Right. I mean, 
you know, wife goes to bed early, open up my computer. I'm writing blogs till two in the morning. Sometimes I need to stop myself. Be like, gosh, I got to lift heavy tomorrow. Like I got to go to bed. You know, like I, I love doing this. How do Sorry, okay, you know what? I'll let you introduce yourself. I said, okay, I said okay. you yeah. I'm about yeah. to start asking questions. You go ahead. So. Okay, so for those out there that are listening who don't know of me, anything but other than Squat University, my name is Aaron Horshing. I'm a doctor of physical therapy. Um, I have been a weightlifter since 2005. I started competing in Olympic weightlifting and did that for over 11 years until life just gets busy and you got to take a step back from competing and uh, find other passions in life, which is what I've done with Squat University. So I treat patients 40 hours a week as a physical therapist. And then I make as much content as possible to help every single strength athlete, weightlifter, powerlifter, crossfitter, uh, strongman, basically improve lifting technique, reach their end potential of what their body is physically capable of, and basically get out of pain. That's a big thing I've really tried to focus on the last couple of years. Um, in the world of powerlifting, I've been able to worked with some amazing athletes over the years. Um, Kelly Brandon, JP Price, Blaine Sumner, uh, Micah Marino, Luke Richardson, and uh, also in the strongman world, Martins Lisi's. I've been working with him for over the last year. Um, but basically my goal and my approach is to help athletes move better, get out of pain, and reach their true potential. Because that's a big thing is that, like we talked about before the show, there's not a single person that walks into a weight room whose goal is not to lift as much weight as possible. That is not dealing with some sort of ache and pain. I mean, we're always, your shoulders banged up, your knees banged up, your back's a little achy. There's always something going on. And my goal is to make content that is going to help you get out of pain and help you get back on track to basically lift some big ass weight. Cause that's the reason why we, why we love being a strength athlete. We love lifting the big weight. And my goal is to help you stay on track for that. It is 100%. I don't know anybody who's done this for any duration of time, a year plus who hasn't had something happen. It's, yeah. it's, it's inevitable, whether big or small. And yeah. the longer you're in it, obviously, and the further you go, the more likelihood it's going to get, and it could get more and more serious, if not addressed. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I, I want to get into that. But since the last time we talked, I mean, talking about your expansion, my friend, you actually, you are still a practitioner, and you said 40 hours a week, but yeah. the content hasn't slowed. You got yeah. 1.4 million is it on Instagram? Your TikTok's mm -hmm. blowing up, and TikTok is, you know, how are, how do you find <laughs> yeah. the time? And TikTok's a new one for me. I'm trying to get in on this, but it's, yeah, it's a, it's, it's a tough one. <laughs> it's a tough one. Man. You've got it's a little it different. Because, and I, I'm not dancing on TikTok for people no. out there listening. Like, oh, he's on TikTok. I'm not dancing. I'm basically just making content in a little bit different format. <laughs> right, but you've done it well. Like I've seen some Thank people you. who Thank are you. big on Instagram. Mm -hmm. lifters and somewhat struggle to be like how do I adapt this to TikTok and yeah. make it work and get the message out and some people like like whatever I'm just going to do the exact same content on TikTok as I do Instagram and some people are like I'm just going to dance and it's not going to be the same yeah. which is fine because it's personal accounts but you've made it work with your content Thank you. So, I mean, the, the big thing is you have to look at each platform a little bit differently. Yeah. And when you when a new platform opens up, you sort of go on and you, you see what are people making content like? How is it different? I mean, you go on YouTube. YouTube is very different than Instagram. So, for example, um, I put up a video today where I was working with uh, a pro strongman who um, the way I was structuring the video, I've got different clips of him where I would draw arrows and show, all right, here's a hip shift. I would highlight certain things, maybe make a quick anatomy graphic over the top. I would voice over my content. And then I would have small clips where you can actually hear me talking with him. So it's like a five minute video. 
Mm. Okay. That, if I put that up on YouTube, it would get very different types of reactions. Though if I have just a, a videographer maybe and we're mic'd up so you can hear the sound very well and it's just like live action video, that will do well on YouTube. So you have to make content that's native to the platform. Mm. So I think the reason why Squat University has been able to do well on different platforms is because I try to reach people in the specific way that they're trying to be reached on that platform, if that makes sense. Yeah. So you have to make different content. Now, an easy way to do that, if anyone's out there that's trying to do a similar thing, is you can repurpose content. So I could shoot, for example, when Martins Lisi's came out to St. Louis, we did a full evaluation on some of the issues that he was having. He was having um, a, a number of issues with knees and hips. And we looked at his lower body, we broke it down. And we made like a, it's like a 40 minute video. And then I took that and then I chopped it up and I would put little graphics behind things and throw up a number of small videos on Instagram that are informational, quick to the point, bite-sized pizza content. And that does well on Instagram. And basically the big idea is you need to give away your best information for free. Too many people nowadays, especially in my world where it's like fitness education, people try to put up like a snippet of something. And then when anyone wants further, they hide behind this 999 paywall to get more information. Like there's never this abundance of information. And what I found is that if I can literally give you every single piece of information that I know in an easily digestible way that I can speak to you in a way that you can understand, man, that's going to help you become a better athlete, get out of pain, reach whatever potential you're trying to get to. And it's going to help you know, grow the world of, of strength athleticism. And I think that's why Squat University has been able to take off how it has. And I see people sharing them, you know, in their Instagrams and whenever they have stories pop up, if you got a quote and then you could go into the body, the caption of the Instagram. So the actual Instagram quote there will grab your attention. You go yeah. into the copy and all of a sudden you're reading the caption and then you could obviously have links in the bio, et cetera. But yeah, you, exactly that where it is like it's that early adapter where you're like let me take a minute and actually process yeah. how i'm going to attach this but doing all that having said that how difficult is it when you actually run in real lifetime <laughs> 40 yeah. hours and then you because you put out a lot of content and mm -hmm. it is well in terms of production do you do this yourself do you have guys that work on it so the only thing i have help with is for my youtube videos and you can tell on instagram if it's a clip from youtube because it's a literally a video of me where i'm in live in person working with people or demonstrating and not voicing over something mm. i have a videographer that helps take that who has actually like wireless microphones so you can hear my voice well and he just sends me the videos after he's done he doesn't like chop them up or clip them or anything like that everything else is all me so I just enjoy doing it that much. I love making and I love sitting at my computer and spending two hours to make a 60 second video oh and chopping it all up and putting the voiceover. I just enjoy doing it. It's something, it's truly my passion. So yes, I work 40 hours a week as a physical therapist, treating patients. And then I'm also making content. And the big thing is literally other passions go to the wayside. So like I used to play the guitar. I haven't picked up my guitar in two years. I have a PlayStation 3 in my basement. <laughs> they're, about, you know what I mean? they're about to release the PlayStation 5. I haven't played PlayStation in years. And it's yeah. because literally when I have a free second, if I'm in between patients, if I got a two o'clock patient and a four o'clock and there's an hour gap, man, the, the laptop comes out and I'm messaging people back on Instagram. I'm replying to comments. I'm trying to edit the next video that's going to go up. It's truly something that I love doing. 
so it doesn't feel like work. But in mm. the end, it's it's something that you know has continued to grow and is is something I love to do. Has it? Did you ever think it it blow up like this when we first started talking? Yeah. When we, it is yeah. absolutely monstrous at this point, man. Yeah, I, I, I never thought it would get. Yeah, I I I don't know if if anyone would ask me, you're going to be at a million followers one day. It's I don't really necessarily think in the future that far as far as follower count. It's more just like I'm living in the moment of doing the best I can to help as many people as possible. And I think at the end of the day, if you're approaching it the right way with the right intention and you're, you've got some skill behind how you're communicating, I think uh, the chips will fall as they may. And uh, I think good things will happen. And um, obviously like when you've helped people, like I reached out to you, I had some pains going on. Yeah. Um, going into the Canadian nationals. I mean, my squat, was all mangled, you know. I think I believe it was, was it a glute meat issue um, on one yeah, of my you, hips. You, you had a you had a hip issue. I remember you wrote to me and you're like, my squat just feels so tight. I'm shifting a little bit. You said I used to squat 405 for sets of eight, and now I'm doing it for maybe a tough triple. I knocked off. There's 50 pounds off my best single. I haven't even come close to it. You're like, I just feel like crap. What do I do? And I'm like, and it was, right, it, it, listen, it was it was. These things will happen because it was scary. I, I went at the Nationals. I took the Nationals and made the team. But I remember thinking, if I go to the World Championships like this, I'm in big trouble, my friend. And I couldn't, there was no time to, you know, I'll just deload it off. There was no, no, mm-hmm. that's not an option. And, yeah. and it wasn't, it wasn't like necessarily even, nece- it's not always a technical thing either. It could just be something's not firing. This You could yeah. set up, that's where some people also, um, and you've probably seen this, you could set it up fine, but something's not firing. It's all about, because um, you went through a series of testing with me and be like, let me see, how do you set it up? All right, the setup looks fine. Let me see you do this in terms of different strengths um, exercises you made me go through. Where's the weakness? What are we looking at? And we went back and forth several times. Like I couldn't see you in person, but yeah. um, we went back and forth several times. And there's mm-hmm. like check marks you tick off where it's like, you, you know, obviously you would ask how long you've been lifting, et cetera. I took a look at some squats. All right. If it's not this, is it that, is it that? And then once you narrowed it down, I remember we had a conversation. I was like, I am training for the world championships. There's no time to, yep. <laughs> to strip this bar down. We got to rock and roll. And I was nervous because you don't know, like, what are we looking at? And you had yep. basically said, you'll be all right. We don't need to strip the bar. You, you, yep. Your program's your program. You didn't tinker my program. You said, mm-hmm. I'm going to give you stuff to do though. And yep. this is where you just have to have blind faith. Because if you look at, and this is on open powerlifting, I don't know the numbers right off the top of my head, but anyone can look at the, that nationals and that world's performance, what happened to my squat. And um, I know myself, I had to buy in and just be like, all right, I'm not changing the program, don't have time. And, but I just have to do what you told me to do before every single squat session. And, and the numbers don't lie, my man. I don't yeah. want to chew my own horror, but I took a silver medal in the squat at the World Championship. It. So it is what it is. But um, do you see things like this coming? Like how often, what is the process for anyone listening? Yeah, so constantly it's it's train what we can train while we fix what we can fix. And every mm-hmm. athlete, you have to understand the context. So for you, you were in the heat of preparing for a competition. Mm-hmm. I just can't take you out and say, all right, let's go back to, you know, the basics. And I hear this again, we talked about this before the show. There's this misconception that I hear some people say, well, Squat University sees a problem and just tells them to go back to the barbell. Nothing could be further from the truth. We need to understand the context of the individual and 
how much pain they're in, what's causing their issue. So let's take for you, for example, you were a couple of weeks out, right? 10 weeks out, I think when we started working right? and it, it wasn't a ton of pain. It was a lot of stiffness, just felt bad. You were having an issue in your technique. So we said, all right, <clears throat> let's screen the body head to toe. Let's do it. We can see your movement problem. We established that. Let's start screening. Let's be a detective and uncover the invisible issue and find where the why is. Mm. Remember your ankle mobility looked pretty good. Your knee stability wasn't too bad. It was the hips. And when we got to the hips, we found a couple of things. You had an imbalance in hip internal rotation where one side was much stiffer than the other. Now, the reason that's such a problem is that when you squat and when you deadlift, you need to be as symmetrical as possible. To a point, asymmetry side to side are natural and normal for some people, especially if you've played a sport growing up where there's a normal asymmetry. A baseball player swings the exact same way every single time. You know, so they're normally going to have a little bit of difference in hip mobility side to side, especially in their shoulders because of throwing a ball. But when you're squatting, we want to be as symmetrical as possible. So big asymmetries, a big amount of internal rotation on one side and a very limited amount on the other side is going to play out in your hips, not tracking correctly or optimally whenever you're squatting. And what we know is that when you are out of optimal alignment, when you squat, not only does it set you up for having some of those aches and pains because certain tissues are going to be overloaded and every tissue in your body has a certain set biological tipping point of load that it can tolerate. And eventually if you're overloading it by lifting really heavy and overloading those tissues because you're shifting side to side, eventually you start tipping into that ache and pain. It's not as huge, all of a sudden crazy hard pain. It's a slow progression. That's how we build injuries as strength athletes. You're not having a torn ACL often, but it's over time that hip starts to get achy. But the second and most important thing is that when you're out of that optimal alignment, you're not performing to your best potential. So that's why that 405 squat for eights easily went down to 405 for threes because mm -hmm. you weren't moving in that optimal alignment. So we found out that that hip internal rotation was limited. So we started doing some mobility work. And also we were having an issue because of that limited mobility, your glutes weren't firing coordination wise as well on that side. Now, some people hear that and they go, well, he's squatting 405 pounds. His glutes are strong. I'm not saying they're not strong. I'm saying neurologically, they were not firing at the right tempo. So it's a cadence. The way in which your body puts things together is called a motor pattern. So whenever you squat, your body doesn't go, glutes turn on, quads turn on, hamstrings turn on. It's this pattern that's neurologically put into your brain that your body says, do the squat. And in doing that, because you had that restricted hip internal rotation, it affected that program and made your glute not activate and fire as well. So we just did a couple simple things. We did some bridges with a band around your knees, holding really hard to get that glute to turn on in a motion of hip extension. And then when I had you do uh, a squat, I had you warm up with a hip circle and just do specific ways of slow controlled tempos in the bottom, feeling for creating that external rotation toward getting the glutes to turn on symmetrically. So we did mobility first, we did stability second, and we just added that into your warm up. It was like a 10 to 15 minute warm up. And in doing so, that's all we did. And I allowed you just to move a little bit better. And then you're training on top of that and the hard work that you're doing, both of them work together. And then that's where the magic happens. Yeah. So again, it's, it's not always something that like you have to completely take someone out of training. We have to have the context. I'll give another example. 
Uh, obviously, I know a lot of the people that are listening to this are power lifters, but I'm going to give a weightlifting example because I had another athlete. Um, he was a junior. He was going to go to the junior weightlifting world championships last year in Romania. Now they were canceled due to COVID, but the same example still applies because he came to me eight weeks out and he's like, his shoulder hurt so bad. He couldn't snatch over like 50% of his best snatch. Uh, his shoulder was just hurting so bad. His name is Jerome Smith. I made a video on uh, YouTube or on Instagram. If you scroll back and you actually want to watch the full thing. So he came to me and we did our evaluation and we found that he had limited stability in his shoulder. The kid's hypermobile like crazy. No mobility issues at all. I don't need to do any stretches, any mobilizations, but I do need to stabilize that shoulder. If we look at the shoulder joints, basically like a golf ball sitting on a golf tee. And if you don't have the necessary coordination of all the muscles that surround the shoulder joint, the golf ball starts rolling around the golf tee a little bit more. And then over time, especially if you're loading big weight over your head in a snatch lift, we can develop aches and pains. So his shoulder was so bad that he couldn't even snatch over 50% without severe pain. So when during our initial evaluation, we found out, all right, here's our starting point. Now we're eight weeks out. I can't have you continue snatching because literally it hurts. No matter what I'm doing in PT, I'm not a magic worker in one visit. So what are we going to do? I said, give me two weeks of no snatching. Now in the meantime, train what you can train, fix it, what you can fix. Can you clean heavy? Good. Go cleans. Can you do snatch pulls heavy without pain? Yes, do snatch pulls. Can you squat heavy without pain? Yes, squat heavy. So we're modifying your, your training so I can allow your body to calm down, desensitize that shoulder so I can fix what I need to fix. And then because we were on a shortened timeline, I said, give me two weeks so we can desensitize that. And then slowly within the next couple of visits, we got a barbell on his back. We're doing some push press and some stabilizing drills. We're getting out the bamboo bar you know, and working on a little bit of stability work in that high position. And then two weeks later, I said, all right, muscle snatch, 50% pain-free. All right, 5% next week. And within the next couple of weeks, within, I believe it was four weeks out, he was able to start snatching up to like 80, 85% again, pain-free. And mm. he was able, he was going to go to that meet had it not gotten canceled and he would have done fine. Cause here's the big thing. Your body as a strength athlete is not just going to forget strength by taking two weeks off or three weeks off. But if we can take out the thing that is creating the pain and allow ourselves to fix some of those problematic movements, you're going to bounce back. A lot of times people have this fear that if I just cut out a certain movement that's hurting me, you're going to lose all your gains. And I get it. If squats hurt to do and someone tells you to stop squatting, all of a sudden you're like, dude, do you realize how long I've been working to get this? Especially if you have a competition coming up, the anxiety just goes through the roof. But the big thing I try to tell people is if I can take you back and I can fix some of these things that are causing your pain, the why behind it, the potential for you to go even further past where you're currently at is going to rise because you're going to be moving from a better foundation. But in the meantime too, let's see what else we can do. Okay. You can't squat right now. What about uh, Bulgarian split squats, one leg at a time? Or maybe some RDLs. Let's get some posterior chain work. Can you do that pain-free? All right. This gives you some work in the meantime to allow yourself to continue progressing in what you can, but not push yourself into too much pain. Because here's the deal. Pain changes the way you move. Yes, it's a nuisance. Yes, it hurts. But pain changes the way that your brain communicates with the rest of your body. So your technique is not going to be as efficient. Now we're talking powerlifting. How do you think your body's going to be performing if neurologically your body's off 
three to 5% because of an achy hip. If you're not firing on all cylinders with 800 pounds on your back, nothing good is going to come of that. Sure, you may get the lift up, but long-term, it's going to just compromise your technique even more. And things like you said, 405 for eights turns into 405 for threes. If you were to keep on pushing through that, 405 would have become a single soon. So yeah. we were able to take a step back and fix it. And that's where the magic happens. And that's, that's what Squat University is all about. I can tell you right now, after that, uh, I started having, so doing deads, and this is when I didn't come to you, um, <laughs> you know, I started having some issues with my lower back and mm -hmm. I did what I think most people do that listen to this. You start telling yourself, I can just push through this. It's not as bad. And you just yep. start, there's so much, um, almost like, well, men and women will do this, but I'm used term machismo, but uh, like women will do this too. You just want to be tough. You know, you oh, just want to sure. be like, I don't, I, you, we think that that's what athletes do. You pain, you train through the pain to a certain extent, but you know, so, and because sometimes it'll work, sometimes it won't, but if you training through pain and not adjusting or not at least evaluating, there's pain there. There's a reason why your body's in pain. What is happening? There is little mm -hmm. ouchies and okay, something's not firing. There's a lack of mobility. That's one thing. Like I had when it was my squat, but then there could be a pain where it's like, there's an issue. And yes. it's not, and that's where some people, it's like, listen, you, like you had already said, you, this is going to be very difficult if for, I think most people listening, harder to tell them to not, to take two weeks off than it is to make them push. Some horses you whip to go faster. Some you pull mm -hmm. on the reins to slow down. I think nine people out of 10 listening to this podcast are going to be the ones pulling the reins and being like, can we talk about what this is? Before yes. You muscle through it. For sure. And I mean, the big thing to understand, if you're an athlete dedicated to being a strength athlete and pushing big weights, you're not going to be feeling great a lot of the year. Right. There's yeah. always Amen. aches and pains. Amen. Man, I've had every single one of them. I've had knee pain so bad I couldn't do a squat. Uh, I've had hip pain. I've had back pain take me out. I've had shoulder elbow pain. I know what you're going through. I've lived it. I continue to live it. And the big thing to understand is most strength athletes also know the difference between a little ache and how this hurts. Mm. understanding and un, like knowing when to push and when to come back a little bit is the difference between a person who is going to lift for 20 more years and the person who's going to have a five-year career. We all know those people that they make a splash in the game and then you never hear from them again because they blew something out or they hurt something so bad they could not continue at that level. You know, you look at any athlete who stays at the top of their game for a long time, they're still dealing with aches and pains but they're managing them the best they can. And that, that's really where it comes down to. If you, if you want to be a strength athlete and lift big ass weight for a long time, you have to learn how to manage your aches and pains because there's always going to be a new one. This week, it's knee pain. Two months from now, it might be hip pain. But you need to have the tools accessible to yourself that you know there's a reason for your pain because there's this whole uh, shift within the medical community nowadays where we say, Hey, there's no such thing as bad movement, just the movement you're not prepared for. And it's a lot. Let's talk about all the psychological issues with pain. Here's the deal. Pain cannot be started psychologically. It can shift it, right? But there's a biomechanical reason your pain started. Now let's say your, your hips a little achy. And then you have a fight with your girlfriend that night and you get two hours of sleep. Sure, that hip's going to hurt a lot more the next day. I'm not denying that there's not a definite psychological or psychosocial component to pain. It can definitely be modified, but it cannot start without 
having a biomechanical fault. And that's where the, the screening process comes in. So for example, like uh, any athlete that has hip pain, knee pain, back pain, one of the first things I do and why it's is squat university is I get them out of their shoes and I just say, show me a squat, a body weight squat, ask the grass. I want to see how you're moving. Take off your shoes. Show me a single leg squat. And the amount of power lifters that I get that are like, what? You want to see a single leg squat? I'm not a, I'm not a 150 pound CrossFitter. I'm like, it doesn't matter. I want to see your control because what I'm looking for is not that you can bust out a full pistol squat. I want to see your control side to side because often we do everything in weightlifting and powerlifting on two feet. We never train single leg. I mean, sure, you may do some Bulgarian split squats or maybe some people do a single leg RDL every once in a while, but you're probably not doing pistol squats in your training. And if you're never doing any single leg work, you often can hide the fact that you have a side-to-side -side difference in your lower body. And often when you expose that, that's where you can start making the changes. And again, it's not always let's completely step back from training, but it's, Hey, sometimes let's just add a few things into your warmups. And sometimes that enough to just address what you found with your detective work prior during the screen and the efficient, uh, you know, evaluation that alone is enough to get you back on track and feeling that much better. I was absolutely blown away with how off my symmetry was in terms of strength. I've been with, like, I've done powerlifting for quite some time, done a lot of different programs, different coaches, and there is, like, some single leg work, but not, it's not prevalent. It's not, yeah. if you start, like, and you can 100% mask it because you're under a barbell. It's not yeah. much dumbbell work. You're two feet on the ground, and you could see, until you said, let me see on one leg each, and I was like, oh, my God, there's a difference. Like it was, it was rattling. I'm like, wow, how did this happen? Mm -hmm. You know? And I don't think a lot of people probably it does certain things go unchecked. And um, so, yeah, you're right. 100%. Um, and there's a reason why your body has pain. It's not a bad thing. So to speak, it's letting you know, there's an issue here. Okay. Yeah. So I, I, it's painful. It, you keep not addressing this issue. It'll get more painful because your body's telling you, Hey, I got to speak louder because yes. you're not listening to me. There's an issue address yeah. it please. and when you when you tell yourself like there might be a competition like you said everything's context but there's a competition in three weeks and you're like i'm going i'm going aaron i'm not pulling from it all right well there's going to be some pain here's what we got to do however it the flip side would be okay aaron there's no competition i feel some pain but i'm just going to go like this for here on out and not stop it's like well i don't know what to tell you my friend because there is yeah. there is if it's increasing if it's a dull pain it's one thing but if it's just an ever increasing pain we know where the story's going like yeah. you, we can address it in two weeks you know or whatever it's going to be and then move forward after that and do some maintenance work or we could just put it aside pretend it's not there and see what happens but that's a rolling of the dice, right? <laughs> yeah. D doing nothing is not the answer. Right. And doing yeah. what conventional medicine tells us today is just stop lifting, take two weeks off. Well, you didn't address the underlying why. That biomechanical reason, that stiff hip or poor stability, limited ankle mobility, poor foot stability, that problem is still there. Even though your symptoms subside, the biomechanical reason for your pain is still there. And the issue is that nowadays we're just told, you know, you see it all the time on TV. Oh, back pain, I'll leave it, right? Yeah. <laughs> oh, Shaq's, um, you know, trying to pedal some biofreeze or something like that. We have many, many ways nowadays to modify the symptoms of pain. 
but not address the cause of pain. And that's what I want people to know is your symptoms are just like a check engine light popping up in your car. Now, an idiot would just drive through for thousands and thousands of miles with their check engine light on in their car. You're going to get a buy with it for a while. It's not, you know, telling you there's impending doom. Stop, stop, stop. Right. Eventually, you know, it's doing, there's something wrong with your car. It's not performing to its max potential. You're not going to have a NASCAR driver continue driving if he has a check engine light on, you know, his pit crew is telling him, Hey, there's something wrong. Let's take a look. Let's diagnose the problem and fix the problem. Well, the same goes for your body. An ache and pain is there for a reason. Listen to it. I, I, it's funny. You said a leave. I took an leave. Um, and I was like, Oh wow. Feeling pretty good today. The pain's gone. Oh, yeah. And you, so I obviously went heavier because the pain's gone the next day. Holy sugar. My friend talk about pain came back all that worse because yeah, it didn't fix anything. I just didn't feel pain. And the pain would have been there if I was going that heavy telling me, Whoa, Hey, sir, this is still an issue here. Like yeah. you have to address. I also did. You're right. I went to my doctor before I went to you and that is what it, they tell you is just take a couple of weeks off, but it didn't change um, the imbalancing I was, I was dealing with the tightness and stiffness. I was, I was just like, it was just time off, but I didn't yep. fix anything. I just didn't. So yeah, the pain subsides when I'm not doing anything, start oh, lifting yeah. again. And I'm still way lopsided that I'm like, I thought I wasn't sure if I was what I was going to do, man. I, I remember thinking, I think by luck of the draw, I had a podcast guest on and um, I forget which one it was. And they brought you up and said, oh, I no just way. shot him a message. And yeah. I was like, my friend, um, it's been a few years, <laughs> but here's the situation, you know, like yep. 10 weeks out. I don't know. I, I don't know. This I'm going to fly to the other side of the world and I don't want be embarrassed. <laughs> and you're like, relax, we'll be okay. But yeah, yep. there's a lot of people here that are probably listening to this. What are some of the most common issues? Because I find, I think, Hips is an issue. And then the glute meat issue I had, I feel like I heard a couple of people had, um, when I was talking about with close friends that are powerlifting, they also brought that up. But yep. do you see common issues also with uh, powerlifting, just squatting in general and those movements? I would say for sure, one of the most common issues across the board is back pain. Mm. And here's the deal. There is no Preach. one size fits all. I mean, I've had many, many episodes of back pain. And every single person has their own intricacies that has led to that back pain. So there's no one size fix all. So mm. if you just type into Google how to fix back pain and someone pops up, they're like, try these exercises, get off that page. Mm. If you have to find something that says, try these tests, what do these tests tell you? Because here's the deal. There's many different types of back pain. So you and your best friend who both have back pain from lifting heavy may have very different treatment programs and different uh, goals to do as far as their uh, types of movements that I want them to do that are going to get them out of pain and back to squatting pain-free. So you brought Kelly Branton up. Uh, one of Kelly's issues uh, was a load intolerance and a flexion intolerance. So what that means is that he was, when he was bending for the, the flexion movement of the spine under load triggered his pain. He could bend forward and touch his toes and be fine, or he couldn't touch his toes, but he could get close to yeah, it. I was gonna say, hey man, now you're lying. Now you're exaggerating. Kelly's a big guy. Kelly's a big he's guy. A big, anyone listening is a big man. Yeah, um, but load intolerant too. So he could not put over, I don't remember how much it was, anything over like 600 pounds triggered his pain, even in a neutral spine. So when we look at the mechanics of your back, your spine tolerates the most load. It's the most resilient 
when it is maintained in this neutral position, which is a slight lordotic curve, and then there's a slight thoracic curve that way. So whenever you move it out of that ideal position, you just increase a little bit more risk of injury because the way in which the forces are placed on the low back. That's why when you see most people perform uh, a deadlift or a squat, their back is braced in a neutral position. Now, sure, there's some power lifters that have adopted a slightly more rounded curvature, like KK, one of the greatest deadlifters of all time, has mm. a slightly rounded back. And even then, the curvature is more so in the thoracic spine and less in the lumbar spine. But even then, he locked his spine in place and then moved about the hips. So the spine, in order to stay the most resilient under big load, must remain braced. Now, I'm not saying you can't move your spine. And some people hear that and they're like, oh, he says flexion's bad. I'm not saying flexion's bad. How can you, you know, do any type of dance, bend over, put on your shoes, you know, grab something out of a low part of your refrigerator? You have to bend your spine. But there's a difference depending on the type of load you're picking up. Because the spine has a very specific way of getting injured, and it depends on the amount of power that is generated at the spine. So for example, power is force times velocity. Now, Tiger Woods swinging a golf club has a lot of velocity in his spine. His spine is moving really quickly. But because he's swinging a golf club that weighs next to nothing, there's very low load. So there's low force. So power at the spine stays relatively low. A power lifter trying to deadlift 800 pounds is going to lock their spine in place and then move a huge load. So we have a lot of force, but we have very low velocity because the spine is not moving very much. Now, there's a tiny bit of movement. You'll always get that research person that goes, well, this one research article shows that the spine is moving a little bit even under a deadlift. Well, sure, there's a tiny bit of movement. I'm talking relative movement. Mm. We can lock that spine in place and try to limit as much as possible the general amount of motion takes place across the hips. And the spine will actually, during a squat and a deadlift, will actually make uh, small little modifications in three different dimensions of movement to maintain being within a neutral range. So it maintains that ideal posture that we want. So that both of those situations, we either have high load and uh, low velocity with the power lifter, or we have low load and high velocity with the golfer, both of those things gives a, give us relatively low power. At the spine, we stay relatively safe. But what happens is that if we are allowing our back to move under load, we have velocity then that increases, higher power, increased risk of injury. And I'm not saying all of a sudden your back's just going to go like that. Again, we're not tearing our ACL while powerlifting. These are slow building issues. And every single person has a little bit of a different spine. Some people have that spine like a willow branch to a tree. You can bend it all day long and it's not going to branch. Other, or it's not going to break. Other people have a little bit stiffer spine. So there's no set amount of movement under load that leads to injury. But the mechanism for injury remains the same. Mm -hmm. so in Kelly's case, Kelly doesn't have a willow branch back. You look at that man, he can hold, hold over a thousand pounds on his back. His back, his spine is very thick. It should not bend very much, which is why Kelly cannot touch his toes. So he has a back that was meant for hoisting big weight. Well, what that means is that if there's any amount of movement, it's not a good thing. Well, what we found is that Kelly was limited side to side in his ankle mobility. And if I remember correctly, he had torn his Achilles years ago on one side. And with the reattachment, he still had residual limited uh, dorsiflexion. So he had limited mobility on one side of his body. 
Now, what that meant was that as he descended into a squat, all of a sudden his one ankle that was limited in mobility hit its end range of, of function. So what happens is that in order to continue descending, that hip now starts to shift a little bit and that low back starts to move a little bit. So we have compensations up the rest of the chain of the body. Now for a few reps, it's not a problem, but you're moving five, six, seven, 800 pounds over and over again through multiple training cycles, things start to wear out. And eventually, like I mentioned, every tissue has a biological set tipping point for amount of load that it can tolerate. And eventually Kelly hit his because of the movement problem under load, his back started to hurt. So he had a load intolerance. He had a flexion intolerance. If I only looked at his back, we may not fix the problem. We looked at his ankles too. We looked at his hips too. We found the issues. We uncovered them with the detective work that we're doing with the screening process. I spoke to him like a human being. I didn't talk to him down like a lot of people like to do in the medical world today. So he could clearly understand these are my problems. These three things are what I need to do to get back. So he was doing things like, you know, banded joint mobilizations, a little ink mobility. He was sitting in a deep goblet squat. You want to see a 400 pound plus man sit in a deep goblet squat. He was doing them every single day mm. because he couldn't squat. 900 and something pounds because he knew that it was going to be helpful for improving his movement quality. And he was doing the McGill big three to work on stiffness. And man, let me tell you, he, those couple months of working that he was doing front squats at first, he took load off. He, well, this was a good time. He wasn't gearing up for a big meet. So he was taking load down to an area that he could tolerate it. He was working on what he could work while he focused on fixing what he could fix and, and training through what he could train. And eventually he got to back squats and eventually improved his, uh, got back on track, was training hard. And I think at, uh, at the time, his best PR, I want to say uh, was like 960, 965. And he had hit at the Canadian national championships. I want to say it was like 970, 973, either way. It whatever, was around there, yeah. He freaking smoked it. And he felt good and he looked at it. And his biggest thing, if anyone remembers Kelly from back in the day, because it's been a minute since he's been competing, Kelly always had a problem with hitting depth. He, could, he was a big dude, super strong, but he struggled to get depth. Well, after working on the mobility work, and again, I'm not trying to make him a dancer. I'm not trying to make him this, you know, the most mobile person in the world. I need him to have sufficient mobility to do what he needed to do. And that's just get below parallel with a big ass weight on his back. And he smoked that weight and didn't, I mean, there was not a, a person in the room that was like, I don't know if he hit depth. He smoked it and he got great looking depth. And I mean, that's, that's what it's all about is on finding the issue, knowing there's a movement problem. That's the why. So let's uncover it. Here's some simple screens to do. And when we uncover it, then we put the plan in place and then we get you back to doing what you love to do, which is lift some big ass weight. In terms of this testing, and that's something that um, when I had approached you and, and I was having issues with my squat, yeah. it was there was there was like several back and forth to get the testing on, on point to see what it was. And mm -hmm. I think that might be one of the issues that a lot of people have where you feel something and just like you had said, your knee-jerk reaction, because everything is online, hop yeah. online. Or if not hop online, you talk to a buddy who actually, who had the same issues that said, oh, I got an yep. imbalance in my hip. I, my hips tilt as well. And, um, or you might talk to a coach who's a powerlifting coach, phenomenal at their job with programming, um, mm -hmm. good at handling, but they're, they have incidental in terms of interface with this kind of thing. I had yep. a lifter, 
he had a he had a hip you know his his hips were, were shifting at the bottom they don't have in the mental rolodex you know like like one of your books that's the 450 page book with all this so they're telling themselves anecdotally i had a guy this is what happened this is what we did to fix it but as you had said you can both have the same issue but how you got there what needs addressed can be entirely different Yes. Even if it looks the same, even if you yep. look at that happened to my squat, it's happened mm-hmm. to your squat. Let's do this. And I think that's one of the biggest things that was my knee jerk reaction was the doctor's telling me don't squat. And that's not an issue if I'm going to go to worlds. Um, I take it a leave and it doesn't work because I just mass the pain. And I was hop. My next thing was probably what everybody was doing. Or maybe this was my first thing. Googling, checking out YouTube videos. <laughs> it, it just being like, this is what I'm going to do. And not realizing, you know, you need to do some testing. You need yes. to figure out why. Go dive deeper. Yes. And, and I mean, that, that's the big thing is, like you mentioned, you could have two people with knee pain, but have completely different reasons. Let's mm-hmm. talk about knee pain. I mean, you could have a foot stability issue, an ankle mobility issue. You could have a hip mobility issue. One way external, one way internal is, is not mobilizing or mobile as much as the other side. You could have a glute uh, coordination issue in the way in which you're shifting side to side. So there's so many different reasons. You take the same advice your buddy hit, you're just throwing it. It's a crapshoot. It right. may help. It may not. You know, patellar tendinopathy versus... Uh, you know, a patellofemoral pain issue, like around your kneecap. Well, if someone that comes to me and they're like, I have pain in my patellar tendon. So automatically they assume patellar tendinopathy or patellar tendinitis. True patellar tendinitis is a, just a pure load issue. So like a basketball player that goes out, they haven't played much basketball in a while. They took a little vacation and then they go and they play five hours of basketball one day. There's just constant pound, 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 pound. And that, uh, that tendon is used like a spring. Well, it has a very set load tolerance and you exceed it. The next day you wake up, your tendon's nice and achy. That responds very differently treatment-wise than someone who's squatting and has an ache around their patellar tendon. It's very different because one is a pure load issue. So I would do things like a Spanish squat isometric to decrease their load sensitivity. And then I may do, I may program some box squats so they don't go very low and they're going to be uh, specifically trying to uh, increase their load tolerance over time with some slow tempo work versus someone who's just got an achiness around their tendon. Well, if they never do any screens, they would never find out, oh, I don't have tendinopathy. That's just where the pain is. But the Mm. why, I have limited hip internal rotation on this side. You doing Spanish squats and box squats may take your pain away slightly, but the second you go again for full squats, that pain's going to come right back. You have to be a detective and have the right set of clues or tests to allow you to understand and make the invisible problem visual. So that's why you, you brought up my second book that's coming out in January is literally the book that needs to be on every single power lifters shelf because it is my uh, way of approaching injury, but written in a way that every single person, no matter your educational background, can understand and take something from all on pain. It is the solution to the strength athletes uh, injury list, basically. You have back pain one day. You go, you pull out the book. It's called Rebuilding Milo. I'm sure most people listening to the program know who the famed uh, Greek Olympian Milo is. Uh, you, you pull out that book, you flip to the back pain chapter. It says, all right, here's the different causes for back pain. Let's do some simple screens. Do this, do this, do this. What'd you find? All right, now that you found that, here's your next steps. All right, you're getting out of pain. 
How's that rebuild to performance? All right, let's modify this. Let's maybe add some chain squats in, not for accommodating resistance, but I want a little bit of unstable squat load for you. So you can work a little bit more on your stability. And it goes through that through every part of the body, knee pain, hip pain, back pain, shoulder pain, elbow pain, the amount of power lifters that write to me, they say, my elbows are killing me. Sure. Check your shoulders. And mm. too often they go, but it's my elbow. And I say, no, it's rarely an issue at the elbow. That's just where your symptoms are. So there's an entire chapter dedicated to being like, all right, let's find your why. Let's try these tests at your shoulder. Oh, it's because your external rotation strength and stability on your right shoulder is so lacking. Try these tests. Let's put this, uh, these exercises into your warm-up and maybe take a, let's take a week off of, of, of pushing through pain. Try these, build it back up. Now let's slowly get back into loading. Now all of a sudden, two weeks later, three weeks later, you're back to bench pressing. You don't have any pain anymore. And I know how good that feels when you get back to pushing some big weight pain-free. Man, it's, it's the best feeling in the world. So I've had it many times. I've helped people get that many times. And I want other people to have access to that. And I know, sure, you can go on YouTube and you can look at all my different videos. And I put out as much free content as possible to the world. But if you want it all right there, simply explained, all written out, backed by science. There's like the back chapter has like 160 referenced articles. So for my exercise science nerds out there that want to look at the actual research that goes into each and everything I'm saying. It's all there, but it's written in a way that every single person, no matter their educational background, can read, understand, and take something from to improve their way of life right now and get back to doing what they love to do, which is lifting weight in the weight room. And for the science nerds who want to dive in deep, even deeper, they're going to hit those references and start going, oh, going go down really the hole. That's go what down. I do. That's what I do. I, I pick up a book and I'm looking through like, that's what I did with all of Stuart McGill's books. You know, I looked at his books and he referenced this blog article or not blog article, but this uh, research article. So I go and I read that. And then I look at the references that they have. And then I read those ones. And then I go down a rabbit hole where all of a sudden I've got 500 articles sitting in my office right now. My wife's telling me I better clean up my room. And you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like I, I go down rabbit holes and that's where I've led to this. It's a 480 page book. This is not the squat Bible that was 128 pages. This is a big book. So it's a little bit more expensive, but I promise you it's a one-time buy that's going to save you a lot of money in the future because two things happen when you push through pain for a long time. You're either going to end up not being able to lift for a long time, or you're going to just be you know, paying money to a doctor or a physiotherapist that may or may not be able to help you. So this is something that should be every athlete's first step to dealing with those aches and pains because I know they're going to come. I've had them. I know in the next couple of weeks, me pushing some bigger weight something else is going to go and I want to stay ahead of it so I can get back in the game. Is it kind of like set up? Like, um, I remember as a kid, we had those choose your own adventure books where <laughs> you, yeah. you, so when you're dying, when you're going through the test, yes, you, you know, have you dealt when you did this test, is this limited range? It isn't. Okay. We'll continue. Is this limited range? Oh, it is. Okay. Well then, and you're kind of yeah. Moving through the book like that is that's how I'm picturing so, it out of the book. So, so each, each chapter is a different part of the body. But okay. the one thing that you notice is that through our conversation today, you could have hip pain, but it could be related to your ankle. So what mm -hmm. we'll do is like, as we go through the different tests, it would say, all right, try this test. Um, what did you find? Okay. Uh, we'll talk about that later this chapter, or you'd probably benefit from the banded joint mobilizations found on this page. Mm. 
So you go and you do those as well. You add that into your program and then try the other test because we don't just stop at one. There's, let's see, let's get the big picture. But yes, there's, there's a lot of bouncing back and forth as far as like the choose your own adventure. Basically it's try this test. What did you find? And this is especially for the, the knees, the hips, shoulders, and elbows uh, is what did you find with this? All right. You would probably benefit from including this type of training in your, in your program right now. Mm-hmm. And then I explain what those are uh, demos. You get pictures of the body so you can be educated. Cause the thing we want to do is not just create strong athletes and resilient athletes, but we should create educated athletes. And I want you to understand your body. I want you to be educated in how things become injured and how you can get out of pain. And do you find like this day and age, because there is so much out there. I mean, even since we, I think like the first time we talked back in 2016, okay, there was, there was definitely information out there, but now there was, you can read, you could watch videos and one guy and one girl will say one thing and someone else will be like, actually, it's not like Lane Norton's been on the podcast. This is a little different. It's nutrition, but just, just for kind of a comparison, Lane is always in debates um, he's been on the Joe Rogan debating and you see Joe yes. Rogan have people debating and stuff where it can be like, you know, so much information out there. Lane's always trying to be like, look at, you know, some yeah. of this is there's zealots out there who have like one fix or one kind of view on things. And it's this way. And that's it. Yeah. Um, with all this information, it's so difficult for people who, and I think like 99% of the people aren't going to know a, what Lane knows about nutrition or yourself in terms of this mobility and strength training. So you kind of just, whatever you, you see, it's almost at face, like whenever you Google, whoever you find, yeah. you just soak it up. It's almost too much information. And, you know and, I mean? and it's tough. I, I think the biggest thing is it, we're not at a lack of information. No, <laughs> what, what, we're, what we're doing is we, we try to find people who can synthesize the information the best. And I've always told people, I'm not the person who's making this up. I'm only standing on the shoulders of giants who have come before me. And I talk about them all throughout the book. You know, I talk about Shirley Saruman, who's sort of like the godmother of physical therapy and understanding there's a movement issue because prior to her really doing a lot of stuff, the physical therapy profession in still today to a lot of physical therapist out there, uh, is a hot pack, cold pack, ultrasound, do this little simple exercise type of community. You know, it wasn't, oh, you're here for hip pain. Let me see you squat. That wasn't the first thing people did because they go, you got hip pain. Let me look at your hip. All right, let's do this. Let's do a little manual work and let's put a cold pack on it with some stem before you leave. You know, that's what a lot of people thought of the physical therapy profession because that's what it was for a long time so learning from her learning from Stuart mcgill who's amazing one of the world's renowned back experts kelly starrett you know gray cook the person who uh developed like the fms and the way of looking at the body and understanding how to screen for movement errors all these people have influenced me and it's not just their word but also their work and what it is supported on. And that's where we look at the science too. So there's all this research and it's really when we can combine it together and we take the real world application because I'm not just, uh, a lot of people don't know like that I am not just Squat University. I'm Dr. Aaron Horschick. I work with patients 40 hours a week and have done so since I graduated in 2012. And before that, I was a strength and conditioning coach. So like I've got all this practical information of saying, this works. The way in which I'm approaching this, I've seen athletes in the worst pain get out of pain and get back and show amazing, amazing results in being able to perform for a long time. 
So it's not just, I'm not just reading research and telling you what to do because there's a lot of book smart people out there that don't have any practical experience. But I'm saying that the work that I'm doing right now is the book smarts with the street smarts combined. And I promise you, I've seen some amazing, and you're a testament to it. I mean, straight up, you were able to, to make this horrible situation turn to gold, you know? And like, that's, that's really where it was and, and really what I want other people to be able to have. Or, or silver as a word, or but silver it was, it was a record. Yeah, <laughs> it, was, it was a record, Commonwealth record and Canadian record. That's but, true. Uh, yeah, 100%. And it is, it's, uh, it's tough because there is like an overload of information. And yes. a lot of it is difficult for, for a lot of people when you do the research. You're yes. just like, I, it all, for most people looking it up, it all looks the same. I'm not sure. And it is a, it's not comprehensive in terms of testing. That's really what you you watch a video or you read an article and do you have lower back pain? Kind of like you said, well, try this. Yes. Um, it is interesting. You said Stuart McGill. I've heard him on a couple of podcasts and um, he's someone that gets quoted a lot in terms of, you know, dealing is it's the back. This really is, is yes. your contribution, but obviously he's, he's knowledgeable everywhere. Yes. Um, is it, is it more, I know I've heard him talk about the McGill big three and what you could do to strengthen core. Is there some things that some people even without an injury should probably be doing to strengthen the core that they could add on, on top of what they're doing already. Yeah. So first off, I, I want to get back to, to what you said first about sort of information overload and, and looking at research, right. because I think the way in which, and you'll see this a lot, I'll make a post and you'll get like 10 different people that'll jump in and be like, well, did you read this, this, and this at all? The way in which uh, school prepares you best for being a doctor of physical therapy is we critically appraise research and we look at something and basically we tease out what's bullshit and what actually is practical information. So for example, there was a research article that came out that said that they, they looked at uh, well advanced, not a, well, more advanced squatters. They had been competing in weightlifting and powerlifting for a while. And they had them do squats and deadlifts at like 70%. They looked at the kinematics or the movement of their spine. And they found that the spine lumbar segment that they analyzed had like 20 degrees of movement during a squat. So you read that and automatically you go, well, Squat University said, don't ever move your back when you deadlift. But this article says that no matter what, your back moves when you deadlift, even with good technique. Well, if you actually read the entire article, it shows that the spine does move a little bit in one direction, but it also makes three-dimensional adjustments up the rest of the spine. So while L4 is moving this way, L5 is moving this way, and they're all can uh, control to maintain the spine within a neutral range of motion, meaning it is not significant motion overall. The lifter braces and uses good technique and their spine basically remains within a neutral zone if they're squatting with good technique. Mm. So again, a, 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 a novice person may read that article, take one snippet and then automatically try to justify them lifting with crap technique on a deadlift. Right. If it, I can see your spine move on a deadlift, it's moving a lot more than that article was talking about. Right. Look, there are people when they read, like there are people who they, they couldn't read a research paper. They would have to read an article, but not the research paper itself. And yeah. then they, they would need it summarized for them. And because they're not they haven't gone to any kind of schooling in regards to this. So they don't necessarily know how to process this information. So yeah. you're cherry picking. I've done it. 
we've all been in those classes where you're like, I'm a little in over my head, but I'm gathering certain pieces. Okay. Yeah. Everyone's been in a situation in whatever topics it is when you go on to school, you miss a few weeks class, you show up, you could snip a couple pieces. I got a couple pieces of information off that, but I don't understand the whole thing as a whole. There's a problem and an issue though, where you'll have some people who they are outside of their regular expertise. Let's yes. just say if it's powerlifting, Olympic lifting coaches, and your expertise is programming, but you're trying to cover all bases. So you're reading certain articles that really isn't anything you've gone to school for. And you're trying to process it. And you're taking certain pieces that you think you understand other things you're not sure about, but you just kind of leave it be. But yeah. when you do that, and you piecemeal your information together, and if you ever tried to dive into the actual research behind it, and check out the references like you would do, um, mm -hmm. They're not going to, so then it becomes, and then you hop on the internet and all of a sudden you could sound like an expert just by quoting certain things that you understood. That's an yeah. issue, right? It's an issue <laughs> That's social every, media, my friend. Exactly, <laughs> and, and the way I go about it is, um, there's a really good quote by uh, Gary Vaynerchuk says it, who some people know that are listening, but Gary V basically, he says, there's two ways to build the biggest building in the city is you can try to build your building as big as possible, or you can try to tear down everyone else's building. Oh, and go. people that are listening to this podcast know of certain people on social media and all they're doing with their content is trying to tear down this person's wrong, blah, blah, blah. And just trying to tear everyone else down. And you know what? you have free access to do that, have it be. I'm going to try to build the biggest building in the world by preaching what I know to be true, not just based on science because I read a shit ton of it, but also based on the practical application of me doing it day in and day out. Thousands and thousands of practical hours seeing athletes get out of pain with this method, not just get out of pain because it doesn't take an expert to take someone's pain away. I can slap an e-stem machine on your back in a cold pack and tell you that your back's going to be better in a couple hours and you're going to feel a hell of a lot better. But mm. to actually get someone out of pain and truly get them back to lifting big ass weight again, that's a totally different story. And to get an athlete back to performing at their best for a long time and then do it over and over and over again, that's how you know that the methods that you're using are true. There's something to it. And I got to tell the rest of the world about it. So, so it's kind of a little bit where everyone wants to wear too many hats. I think um, I've noticed where everyone wants to be a powerlifting coach a nutrition coach or rehab coach. And it's like, like, it, man, it's okay to be like, just stay in your lane there. We're not necessarily <laughs> trying to do yeah. everything, but um, sure. I mean, that's not everybody. I don't want to focus too much on just a few people who, who overreach, but that is one thing that's changed since last time is there's so much more information out there. And there's a um, lot. Yes. <laughs> there's a lot to process, but um, uh, going back to Stuart McGill. So is there yes. some stuff that everybody can take away like at the McGill big three, et cetera, that can yeah. help solidify the core, even if you're not injured, but you might add if it's not already in there in terms yeah. of like some core work or certain work that some people should be doing if you're lifting. So the big thing that Stu preaches is core stability enhances distal athleticism and power. And this all comes in. There's a number of research articles. The one that he likes to talk about, uh, they took a group of Muay Thai fighters. And if people nice. don't know Muay Thai, it's not boxing. Basically, it's a lot of kicking. Right. And they took these Muay Thai fighters and they had them do two different types of training for the core. One did the dynamic core work that most people are used to Russian twists, crunches, med ball chops, things like that, working the spine with power. If you remember back to our earlier discussion, and then they also took the other ones and they did the McGill big three. Now there's nothing special to the big three. They're basically isometric core exercises. So the muscles turn on, but no joint movement uh, occurs. Now they found three simple ones that activate all parts of the spine. You have a modified curl up that works the front of the core, 
you have a side plank that works the side, and then you have a bird dog. So they did this training for a while, and then they measured a number of physical performance attributes, and they found that the Muay Thai fighters that trained with the McGill Big Three had more power in their kicks than those who did not. So take injury aside, if we can get your core more stable, I can enhance and unlock future performance out of your legs. Mm. And for a power lifter, all of a sudden you're like, hmm, that sounds interesting. So what I'm saying is prior to getting under the bar, if you walk in the weight room and your first thing is throw a barbell on your back, you're not doing an optimal warm-up. I'm not telling you to foam roll for 45 minutes because that's not optimal either. Another thing I get misquoted on sometimes. But I want your warm-up to be optimal efficient and effective to allow you to prime your body to perform at its greatest potential. And it's going to look a little bit different for everyone, right? You had hip mobility work, you know, Joe Schmo may not need any hip mobility work if his hips are fine, but what do we need to do to get your body in its best working shape? What can we do to rev that engine? Well, and a lot of times it's not just put the barbell on your back. There's some other things that we can do in the meantime, the McGill big three is a great way. Blaine Sumner is one of the strongest power lifters in the world today. Blaine Amen. Sumner does the McGill big three before he gets under the barbell. So if Blaine's doing it, I think a lot of us should do it. Right. You know, so, I, I feel, so I feel like most professional athletes don't just hop in there and start doing their sport either. It's weird that powerlifters, I don't know if we're <laughs> just, I mean, we're kind of a niche sport. I get it. We're not like a pro sport, but you know, when someone's being paid 5 million a year, they have a warm up. You don't just, Willy yeah. nilly, I'm just gonna hop in there. Nobody's gonna let you do that. They're gonna be like, We're Oh, yeah, first, at least something. For, for, for some reason, we have taken the sport of, of weightlifting and powerlifting, uh, I'd say more so powerlifting, and assumed that just because we're squatting, that warming up by squatting is sufficient to prime the body well. You know, a baseball player, you go to a baseball game early. They're not just going out and playing. They're out there. They're doing mobility work. They're jogging. They're doing a skips. They're doing some stretching, some different things like that. Mm -hmm. You know, every single professional athlete does some work to prime their body to perform at its greatest potential. So you walking into the gym and throwing a barbell on your back and going, I'm ready to go. Sure. You're going to get by with it for a little bit and you may not get injured. I'm not saying that you're going to get injured, but I'm saying if we could unlock that much more percentage potential out of your performance, wouldn't you want to know about that? And I mean, as a power lifter, your goal is to lift big weight. So if I right. can give you a program that can maybe add just a little bit more potential to your program, to your lifts, I mean, man, that's, that's where it's all about. The problem is nobody likes, like I also do jujitsu. Okay. I yeah. will not lie to you. There are days when I show up late on purpose so that I skip the warm up, <laughs> and I know I'm flirting with, ah, you might not get hurt, but there is a reason why you do this professional yeah. athletes. You, it's, it's not the, the sexy work, you know, nobody likes doing bird dogs. You'd rather squat for 500 pounds for reps. A bird dog isn't fun. You're not posting videos of your bird dog and people yeah. are pressing, getting a lot of views. It's, it's not fun to do. It's annoying. It gets in the way. I get yeah. it. But, but, but like, if you look at, you're right. If you go to a professional, any kind of professional sport, if you get there early enough, you see them warming up on the field or see them warming up on the ice, or you see them warming up period. There's a reason though, right? Like this yes. is, there's a, a level of professionalism when you're expecting X amount from your body, you got to take care of it. And um, there can be, and this was me before until we ended up having to talk and inadvertently you, you'll end up having to talk with somebody like you if you don't start doing this, but um, your neglect and the success, despite the neglect, 
kind of makes people think, well, I'm not hurt. So it's okay. I've been doing this for years. I just get under the yeah. bar. The problem yeah. is it's like, maybe, but eventually something's going to happen. Or if not for you, if you take it, like just do the play the odds, if you're taking a hundred people, all 100 aren't going to get away with this. And you don't know where you fall in that 100. So maybe you should just, is it that hard to do 10, 15 minute warm up? Let's be honest here. You know yeah. what I mean? Like if all you're asking to cover your bases, considered it insurance to get warmed up is 10, 15 minutes of extra work before you lift. It ain't much, you know, yeah. but, but I don't know. There's, I, I, I know sometimes I get lazy with it too, man. Yeah. And that, that's why also when I do make content um, for Squaw University, I like to show the professional athletes that take this mindset. I mean, like I show Martins, like Martins is doing the little things right. Mm. And there's a reason why he's going to come back and crush it at the 20, uh, 2021 Arnold. You know, I mean, Blaine Sumner squats over a thousand pounds on the regular. He doesn't need to do a bird dog. A lot of people say, well, you ask him. He definitely does. And the thing, he's not just doing it to do it. He's doing it with intention. And when you take the same amount of attention to detail in your warmups, as you do your biggest reps, or for example, talk to Ed Cohen a couple of weeks, uh, weeks ago on my own podcast, you ask Ed Cohen, how he approaches deadlifting 135 pounds. The man could deadlift a house and he mm -hmm. would approach that bar every single time in a squat bar. He'd walk it out of the rack the exact same way every single time. It's because attention to detail to the little things that don't seem important add up and they make big changes long-term. Uh, you know what? I've, I've, <laughs> I've injured myself probably more on the lighter weight that I'm not taking nearly as seriously. Oh yeah. And, and that's why sometimes a good ritual, like setup ritual, isn't the worst thing. Some people see the YouTube videos and they're like, that's so extra is the, is the term they're using yeah. these days. It's why you got to yep. be so extra. But you know what? If the ritual keeps that lifter so they approach the bar the same every single time, yep. you're on point. Um, commentating at the world championships, you see, I've, I've said it on the air, not trying to like give any bad mojo <laughs> out there, but you'll see a lifter come out. And for every single lift, they have a certain ritual. And mm -hmm. then on the last lift, on their th big third deadlift, they came out and they didn't do the same ritual. And mm. me and the co-host, the co-commentator, look at each other like, and you don't want to say anything. Be like, oh, well, that's interesting. And they don't get the mm. lift or whatever yeah. happens. You're like, did that get in your head? Are you overthinking it? Are you, why are you breaking your ritual? Why are you breaking yeah. your setup? And um, yeah, it just comes down to sometimes you, you do have to approach it in the warm-up room or whether it's your first attempt, second attempt, third attempt. In the yeah. day, you know, it's the less sexy stuff you got to convince people of. For sure. And I'll tell you, I mean, I've noticed it in my own weightlifting. I mean, you take that approach to take your warm-up lifts with the exact same mindset that this is your hundred percent lift and you're going to move it just as well with the right intensity, man, like those heavier lifts start moving a little bit easier and that much better. I mean, watch, I mean, I'm in weight, the sport of weightlifting. You watch the world championships, like go behind the scenes and watch those athletes. They're not just throwing weight around just to throw it around. Like there's, I got some videos of Lu Zhaojun from behind the scenes at uh, one of the Asian championships recently. I mean, that dude's his first warm-up set 60 kilos and that dude, I mean, it's snappy and it looks good. He's not mm. lackadaisically throwing up, even though he could, but he's mm -hmm. making it work perfectly because when you get that, when you're doing that, you're grooving that neural pattern, that way in which your brain speaks to your body to move that exact precise way. Because with weightlifting and powerlifting, you're trying to activate every single muscle fiber you have to lift that weight as fast and as powerful as possible. So you prime that from the beginning. You don't all of a sudden get under 800 and think, all right, I'm going to, you know, 
Let's get all those muscle fibers going. You start doing it from the very start, from the barbell to 60 kilos, to 80 kilos, to 100 kilos, and on up. Obviously, I'm speaking kilos. There's a lot of powerlifters out there who don't know what I'm saying. I know, buddy. <laughs> yeah. I'm a I've been waiting for I too long. I, I, need, I need to get my calculator out if I'm speaking pounds. <laughs> <laughs> I know. No, you know? I, and you know what I've also done is um, I've noticed sometimes technical changes have happened to me without me knowing it just by getting a little sloppy with some lighter weight when I do mm-hmm. – you know, you do your peaking and when you're in the peak into a competition, the weights are heavy and then you start getting a little sloppy when the weights are lighter and you don't approach it the same. And then I've gone in when I, by the time I get to the peaking, the weights are heavy again. And for some reason, my hands aren't in the same place when I grab the bar for my squat or the foot placement, or I don't have nearly as much tension in the hips. And I'm like, when did that start happening? And I look at the video from that peaking to previous training video. I'm like, when did my technical work start changing on me? Mm. And it's, it's just a little bit sloppy because the weight's a little lighter and you're not as intense and you're just kind of yep. taking it a little bit easy. And then because you're taking it a little easy, I'm not going to warm up and do all my bird dogs for this light weight. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, or I'm not going to just, even when you're under the bar in terms of the act, let alone the warm up, but the actual setup when you're approaching it. And um, yep. talking about the world championships for Olympic lifting, same mm-hmm. thing for the, power, for the powerlifting world championships. You see Russell or he in the squat bar, he's moving a plate aside like he's going for a world record. It looks yes. the same. It looks the exact same setup. Like you would think he's got a whole lot more weight on it. And because- I want to I see more people show that on social media. Right. I, th- I feel like you would educate so many people if you showed some athletes warming up well in in the intensity behind their warm-ups because a lot of times we only show the big lifts which obviously is awesome we love watching the big lifts yeah. you know that's what king of the lives i mean we're seeing we're seeing yeah, see, yeah, you're talking to king of the lives right we're, we're seeing that we love that but what i'd love to see sometimes is some of these athletes just show some of their lifts behind the scenes and let athletes that are younger and don't know they're like oh wow Look how intense he is. That's 135 pounds on the bar, but he's moving it like it's 900. Right. Then they realize I take that same intensity into my training. Now, all of a sudden that kid is going to do much better because he thinks that, you know, the weightlifters and powerlifters only turn it on for the big lifts, And that's not the case. No, it's, it's all pay attention to what you're doing and stay focused, right? Every yeah. time you grab the bar, because I like, honestly, there are t- so many times where an issue pops up before I get to the top weight, just because I took, it's taking it for granted. And at a certain point for a guy like Russell, let's say, he ends up squatting the top end. He's close to a, like, he's hit 700 pounds in, in, the, uh, in the gym, not on platform yeah. yet, but he's hit 700 pounds, but he's still a 190 pound man. So for him, his body weight, 400 pounds squat isn't very much for him for sure. Mm-hmm. It's still twice his body weight. So yeah. if you don't take it for, if, if 400 pounds dropped on him from a second floor, he's a dead man. So you have to, in terms of whenever you get underneath the, the bar, I get it where you're going. That weight isn't very heavy, but believe if you actually just don't take it seriously, it's heavy enough, right? It's yes. heavy enough yeah. to do problems. So that's kind of where people lose that. Yeah. And, and talking about injury, because a lot of times we talk, we think that we're only going to get injured on the big lifts. It's the accumulation. That's loads, yeah. right? right. It's every single time that you're t- taking that load in. I mean, the game's a big one. Um, you know, your knees are not going to get hurt like this. You're not going to tear your ACL on a squat. There's a lot of compression. It's a very slow motion. And the ACL technically is only maximally loaded at about 15 to 30 degrees of knee bend, which is like a quarter squat. So a, a deeper squat, a, a, you know, a parallel squat, 
your knee ACL is not in a position relative to where this top. So when we look at knee cave, obviously it's not optimal mechanics. The knee should be remain in line with the foot. But what happens is that over time, you're overloading these specific tissues on parts of the knee that should not have that much load on it. We should be more ideally in line, sort of like a train getting pulled down a train track. But all of a sudden, there's a rope pulling that train to the side. It's not going to be tracking as well on the track. And over time, you're wearing things out a little bit uneven, a little bit uneven. We're talking long-term issues. So mm -hmm. she may be performing really well right now. And that's awesome. Keep working hard. Because I'm not denying that a lot of lifters aren't working their ass off and are great athletes and are extremely strong. But what I'm looking for is can you do that long-term? Do you have sustainability? Because that is what's going to keep you in the game for long-term. I don't want what you do at 25 to set you up to have to have knee replacements at 65. And, and uh, yeah, I mean, in terms of the top weight, you know, you only do so many reps at the top weight, but you yeah. do far more reps at the bottom, the bottom end weights. So if yeah. you're not as focused and intent there, if you get a little looser and you're not too worried about it, you're not even recording it, you're not looking at it anyways. And nine times out of 10, you probably don't have a coach watching you. Most people are just doing their thing in the gyms. So when you record that top weight and you are ever so on point, focused and paying attention, video it, send it to the coach, looks beautiful. But how, you know how many reps you do day in, day out on warm up and then working up to the top weight? It's, it's yeah. far more than that top single. Or that For sure, and let's, or whatever. let's take it like this too, because we, oh, I brought up knee cave, right? Um, you see an athlete at a powerlifting competition whose knees cave in at, you know, at maxing out. And a lot of people may jump on and be like, oh, that's the worst thing ever. They're going to blow their knees out, whatnot. A, injury risk is low for that one-time exposure, right? So I'm not saying, and when you're on the competition platform, all goes. You're there to get that weight up. Small technical breakdowns happen. I know my, if you look at my competition lifts, they're not amazing looking. There's some technical breakdowns that naturally occur when you're moving as much weight as you physically can and trying weights that maybe you've never even hit before. But in saying that, if you have big technical breakdowns, you likely have been training like that as well with those other ranges that are less than maximal. Because practice doesn't make perfect, practice makes permanent. So if you're showing big technical breakdowns on the competition platform, likely it's because you've ingrained that way in moving suboptimally in your normal training, which would be between 75 to 85% of your one rep max. That's where the bulk of your training comes in. So if you're training poorly in that and allowing that knee cave and other problems to happen, it's going to bleed into your big lifts. And the more load, the more problem that's going to happen. So we have to understand context and realize that it's over time, those problems, if they happen once, it's not a big deal. You're probably not going to get injured. That's strength sports pushing big weight. Small technical breakdowns happen. I've definitely seen it. But when they turn into daily problems and weekly problems mm -hmm. and monthly problems, and majority of your training, that's when the issues arise. Do, do you think, so what are some of the, what are some of the things people could do? I guess you would have to go through different testing. I'm, I'm going to fall into that trap. I almost forgot. I was going to say, what are, some, what are some things people could do to fix that? But the answer would be, I don't know. I'd have it to go through a testing. Right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. It's not, that's the symptom, but not necessarily the end all issue right there. Yes. I mean, the big thing, video all your lifts. 
I mean, you can delete them after if you don't, if they're lightweight and you don't want to share them with anyone, but video your looks, just get some, just get some feedback for how you're moving. Mm-hmm. And if you see a problem, then we go on and there's, that's where all the resources are with Square University. You know, I told you, I, I mean, if you're in pain, there's a book for that coming out. If you're having a hip shift, Squat University, how to fix a hip shift. You don't even have to be in pain. I've got an entire video on how ways in which you can diagnose what causes of your shift and you can fix those problems. Are there, um, so in terms of this book, how do people get a hold of this book, by the way? So it, it is- I'm thinking about on, getting it myself now. <laughs> I appreciate it. Yeah, uh, I'm, gonna send, I'm gonna send you a copy. I'm gonna send you a copy. Well, you so, know what, I'll I've buy got, it just to support because I'm much appreciated, but I am dealing with some issues myself. <laughs> and this is definitely something I'm gonna dive into. I appreciate it. So uh, the book is on amazon.com all across the world. So uh, I be- it should be on the Canadian version of, of Amazon. I know it's for sure on the UK version of Amazon. Uh, um, and then it's not at bookdepository.com as it and like Barnes and Noble is another big uh, vendor, but it's for pre-sale right now comes out January 19th. Is there an ebook version? There will eventually be for right okay. now. It's only going to be in the hard copy for the first couple of months of thing. Gotcha, gotcha. And is there any questions that we haven't covered? Uh, just thank you for your time, man. We just crushed through a, a bunch, but yeah. we started rocking and rolling. It is what it is. But is there any yeah. other, because I, I had, I'm just looking at some of my questions that I got here and we pretty much, uh, I believe we covered most of it here. You know, one thing that some, some people are saying, and it's true too, is, um, you know, statistically speaking, when it comes to power lifters, and this is probably the same for Olympic, Olympic lifters as well, mm-hmm. the majority of people are going to fall in the one to two year category in most people's career for powerlifting, Olympic lifting. You know, they do one, two, maybe three competitions and are done. And that's the vast majority. Now, the amount of people that actually start excelling and staking around for, you know, year three, four, five, and then beyond is fewer and fewer, obviously. Um, so for a lot of these people, it could be technical work where they have technical breakdowns in terms of the lift, mm-hmm. where it's like, hold yep. on a second, let me take a look at this squat. Let me take a look at this dead. Let me take a look at this bench press because it's technical work. And that's where you kind of need to backtrack as well. Because mm-hmm. if you're doing the technique improperly, now you're starting to cause pain as well. Have you seen a lot of that in terms of like when you're making content, um, you know, th- that's the thing. Everybody's viewing it from the beginner to the advanced to the intermediate and uh, you know they don't know if they're they're all trying to apply it to themselves without properly diagnosing where it's like my friend if you've been squatting 10 years you got a coach whatever your, your squat's probably okay but we mm-hmm. might have a breakdown that's happened over time whereas if it's how long you've been lifting this is your first year it could be we have some technical issues to talk about you know what i mean where yeah so there is like you know, some people don't, uh, they try to, they read some of this content or watch videos as a seven-year lifter. And they're like, what are you talking about? I don't need to do this. It's like, well, maybe this video wasn't for you though. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, and that's, I mean, I'm trying to speak to a variety of audience. I mean, I've got people that are just starting to lift that are getting into any of the lifts, squatting for the first time. I'm talking to the guys that have been squatting for 10 years and can, got a good amount of competition under their belt. And I'm also talking to guys in their 50s and 60s that have been squatting for 20, 30 years, and competing for 20, 30 years. You know, there's a wide variety. So there's definitely going to be that context. And that's, 
it's tough to get amazing context with a very short Instagram video, mm. but that's why I try to explain as well as possible, you know, the different things that I'm doing. I'm not telling every single athlete to go back to the barbell. You know, it, is it needed sometimes? Sure. If someone's completely load compromised in their back, they can't squat without pain. Yeah. We got to go back to the, some of the basics. Um, again, it comes down to, I want you to train what you can train while we fix what we can fix. And that, that answer is a little different for every person depending on the situation. Yeah. Yeah. Well said. And that's where you also are going to have to lean on. If this, if the individual has a coach, be like, go over yeah. the videos with your coach. If you have a powerlifting coach, Olympic lifting coach, et cetera. Um, because you could do all the assistance work as well and do all the things right. But if your setup for the squat is lacking and you're in year one or year two, I mean, I remember when I first started lifting, man, you, you don't get like, there's, it's constant little adjustments on your, on your form for all three lists for quite some time. You know, yeah. it doesn't just, you don't walk in there and bang, you have it. So there will yeah. be some eureka moments where like, oh my gosh, when I change my foot, when I change my hands, my whatever, everybody's levers are different too. So there's also some investigating to do on that end as well. That's, and that's kind of some of the For responsibility sure. of the, of each individual lifter to kind of bring that technical, you know, efficiency as well, because you could, you could fix them up, be like, look, this will fix up your problem. But if you're squatting it properly or deadlifting it properly, I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> right? yeah. and, and, and that's why the fix has to eventually get back to the lifts. Like right. the, the, the way in which I talked about in the book, Rebuilding Milo, wasn't your back hurts, try these tests, do these exercises, and then that's it. It's let's dip our toe back in the water and get back under the barbell and see how it changed your movement pattern. Because if you just improved your hip mobility and then you grew that motor pattern again, the movement of the squat, you're not gonna fix the issue and it's probably gonna come back. So you have to, and that's why, gosh, I've got a squat rack in my clinic five feet from uh, all the PT beds that I have. You know, like I've got a transformer bar in my clinic because we have to be able to groove those patterns. We have to be able to get back on the barbell in session to see how we're doing things, apply the right loads, tinker with this, try this with the end goal of knowing I'm not just trying to get you out of pain. I'm trying to mm. get you out of pain and get you back, back to doing a very specific type of movement on your load. So we have to have that, that end goal in mind. Yeah, get out of pain and, and not have to come back for the same issue repeatedly, essentially. Exactly. Listen, muchly appreciated. Um, I think I pretty much covered it all. We had a great conversation here. And um, I had, yeah, I'm just looking at my questions here. Did you have anything you want to hit up? Or do you think we covered most of the bases that the people had sent for you as well? Man, I, th I think we covered a lot. I just want to say thank you so much for having me on the podcast. It it's a true honor. And it's it's been a gr great journey for both I've been watching your page and everything you've been doing with it, listening to your podcast, and, and you're doing such a great job. So uh, it's an honor to be a, a guest back on the podcast again. My dude, um, yeah, look at proud of how how you've grown your brand. Uh, you, you were absolutely killing it as well. I'm glad we had almost like a little reunion here when we were two guys starting out yeah. trying to figure this out, and then reconvene four years later and look what we built but uh, we'll have exactly. to do it again. Let's not wait another four years. We'll do it again soon. For sure. For sure. All yeah. right, my friend, thank you for coming on. Much appreciated. And we will keep in touch. Hopefully not because I'm all banged up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. See you, buddy.
See you, man.